Today we begin a series on the Rajneeshpuram cult. We'll start by looking at the backstory of the cult's leader, Bhagwan, taking a look at his upbringing and how his time traveling India giving lectures would lay the foundation for the formation of his community. We'll also discuss his ever-changing set of beliefs, how he ended up in the United States, and how he managed to gain so many followers. Spoiler alert, free love. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you're a fan of our previous cult stories, stick around. This one might get interesting. This is Necronomapod. My people are rich. In fact, only the very rich, educated, intelligent, cultured, can understand what I am saying. Beggars cannot come to me. Poor people cannot come to me. The gap is too big. They can hear me, but they cannot understand me. So it is natural. I am the rich man's guru. So what was the last cult that we covered? I don't even remember. It's Canadian guys. Uh, Solar Temple. Solar Temple. A long time ago. That's no, it has, can't be that. We, well, we redid Heaven's Gate. Oh, yeah. Not too long ago. Summertime, I think. It's really been that long. Wow. It's only so many cults available. It's very true. It's not an endless well. You got to pace them out. Ones that have like the... Like a real meaty story that you can yeah. dig into. I'm going to burn up the good stuff. They're, I think overall they're my favorite genre that we cover. It's just they're very fascinating to me. But I feel like there's just one out there that we're missing that we, we covered that we just can't remember. I don't know. Maybe it is uh, Heaven's Gate. The Japanese one where they liquefied people. That was fun. That was Osho, Osho, Shoko Asahara. Shoko Asahara. That was back in 2020 though, right? I don't know. I have no sense have, of time. Yeah. That was a while. That was like was one it? of our first years. I think that was in 2019. <laughs> that wasn't even in the studio. No. No. That was when we were still in my basement. Was it? I, I feel like so. it was a poker table studio. Mm, maybe. No idea. It's weird that like with some of these shows, <laughs> I just have like brief instances of drunk memories of where <laughs> yeah. I was like for those. Usually, like if I remember my back being sore, it's because we were in your basement and I was on like that high chair <laughs> where there was like really no back to it. Well, well, I always get the shitty chairs. That was before you had surgery with your tailbone. Uh, it was just the, the, the cusp of it. <laughs> you guys always give me the shitty chairs. <laughs> we did uh, love his one. We talked about them. Oh, that, guys. Yeah, there it is. That's we the talked about we them on Patreon. That was a Patreon one. That yeah. was it. Somebody just sent us something about them dropping all charges against all those people. They wanted to know how you felt about that. Oh, yeah. I, I kind of looked into it. Like, I got really annoyed with following them on Facebook. It was getting real weird. Mm. Like, his, the Father God, his Facebook was getting really strange. And then the other ones were real annoying, the oh, two girls. That's hard to believe. We got a bad review because of that. Really? You remember I said I was annoyed by basic white girls that were into uh, Saturn being retrograde. Someone stopped listening to us because of that. Yeah. I'm a basic white girl, sir. It goes for basic white guys, too, that are like I'm that. going to get my pumpkin spice latte and not listen to your show anymore. 
White people are the worst. <laughs> Ruin everything. <laughs> okay. You feeling better today, Ian? I know uh, Mike and I had to do our monthly cool down show by ourselves the other day. Yeah. A little well, bit. We told people he was sick, but for, in all honesty, we just, we said, no, you're not doing the show until you get this outline done. <laughs> so you're, you're out, Pally. <laughs> Dems the rules. <laughs> it's no holds barred when you're not here. Yeah, I, as soon as I hit play, and it was uh, Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> I was almost going to really? take a picture of all the coke we had going on in the studio and use that as the. Uh, we can use that as the picture for social medias, but I decided it'd probably be in poor taste. Yeah, that's not a good idea. Yeah, plus you'd have like the you know stripper's ass and and everything, so <laughs> we didn't want to do all that. Gotta leave something behind the scenes, behind the kayfabe, you will. <laughs> kayfabe. <laughs> But anyway, so uh, this is an interesting subject. Yeah, this is a very popular one. Um, really good Netflix series came out a couple years ago about it. It was called the what? Wild Wild City? Wild Wild Country. Wild Wild Country. A lot of people have requested this too. Really? Over the years. Oh, yeah. Yeah? Oh. Oh, yeah. Well, and now they get their wish. Lucky them. Eileen Warnos into this. Been a hell of a few. Uh, it's Christmas in the fall yeah. over here at Necronomapod. I like to give back. <laughs> Can I just say that my favorite thing I'm looking forward to about this story is hearing Ian pronounce all these Indian, <laughs> Indian people's names and cities. Really looking forward to that. <laughs> I think we're on for a little treat. <laughs> I was already going to talk about this first one. I think we should make a rule that it's all one take. No matter what. Just one take. For I this think one we movie. should try to do at least for, for part one. I think you just do it all one take. Okay. Then if you, if you either, so you either stick with it or if you fuck it up and want to do it again, we leave it in. Okay. <laughs> oh all is one take. Okay. <laughs> Deal. I like how Dave's accepting for you. Like, <laughs> go, oh, all right. I'll sign off for that. Okay. I agree. <laughs> Chandra Mohan Jane was born December 11th, 1931 in Bhopal, British India. Growing up, he was nicknamed Rajneesh, which means God of Night or the Moon. Throughout his life, he was also known as Acharya Ranish, Bhagwan Sri Ranish, and Osho. For the sake of keeping this story consistent, we're going to just call him Bhagwan the whole time because that's the name most people knew him as once his religious movement really got going. I know Bhopal from when I was a kid, there was a big disaster there at the Union Carbide plant. You guys familiar with that? There was that big gas leak that killed like 4,000 people in the town. No. Yeah. That doesn't sound pleasant at all. No, it was horrible. So that's why I'm familiar with Bhopal. Uh, at this time, Dave, were the British sending any of their prisoners to India or had they all been sent to Australia? <laughs> I think they were all in Australia at that point. Okay. Yeah. And still to this day. <laughs> still, yeah. Generation after generation after generation of criminal. It's like escape from New York over there, I, I understand. Lawless. Yeah. They have to wall it off from the rest of the world. They have to like piss in cans and then <laughs> <laughs> close them up and then sell it as fosters and then drink it themselves. <laughs> A vicious cycle, friend. <laughs> Bhagwan was the oldest of 11 children, and for unknown reasons, his parents allowed Bhagwan to live with his grandparents full time. According to Bhagwan, living with his grandparents is what led him to becoming a guru later in life. 
But Guan's grandparents pretty much gave him full reign. He didn't have to answer to anyone. They didn't require him to attend any type of formal schooling. Sounds fucking awesome. Yeah. When Baguan was seven years old, his grandfather died, and he was sent back to live with his parents. Once he got back with his parents, he started attending school like other kids his age and was remembered as being very smart, but didn't conform and was very rebellious. Throughout his time in school, Baguan had a girlfriend named Shish. So does that count when I just say chush and then stop? Yes, that's one thing. <laughs> hey, man, you move along. You control the edits. You do whatever you want, Pally. Move along. Nothing to see here. Well, I don't want to have end up with a nervous breakdown over these names or anything like that. She's dripping sweat over there. <laughs> so his girlfriend was named Shashi. Shashi died when they were both 15 years old from typhoid. Between his grandfather and his girlfriend dying... Baguan became obsessed with the thought of dying to the point where he would get it in his head that he was going to die and he would stay awake and just wait days for it to happen. Sounds like a meth binge. This obsession with death also led him to question religion and took an interest in breath control, yoga exercises, meditation, fasting, the occult, and hypnosis. He was a big hypnosis guy. Oh, Mike, right up your alley. Yep. I'm all in on this one. Nice. I'll follow him. Probably going to bring you around to the art of hypnosis. The science of hypnosis, if you will. I'm in. At 19 years old, Baguan started to go to college in in Jabalpur. But after arguments with one of his teachers, Baguan transferred to D.N. Jane College. Because he was so disruptive and would argue with teachers, Baguan was not required to show up for classes. He only had to pass the tests. Lucky. Just kind of, you know, that's crazy. He just gets that special treatment. Fuck with your teachers enough. They're like, fine, fuck off. Just <laughs> don't even come anymore. Just pass your test, little fucker. I had a few female professors that told me to stop coming as well. <laughs> it's explosive, man. Is that right? Mm. Explosive. You're drowning me. <laughs> I'm drowning in semen. About right. So all I had to do was just pass the test and then move on. A plus, plus, plus. In 1955, Baguan earned a bachelor's degree in philosophy, then went to the University of Cigar where he earned his master's degree in 1957. You know who else went to the University of Cigar? <laughs> One of my interns, Ian. <laughs> Mr. President, it's been a while. <laughs> Welcome back. How you been, sir? I've been great. She got an A++. <laughs> Master Cigar. Thank you, Mr. President. <laughs> Move along, Ian. Don't fuck up in none of those names. Having that master's degree got him an immediate teaching job, at Jaipur Sanskrit College, but that didn't last long. Bhagwan's trend of arguing with everyone and going against a lot of the cultural norms in India caused him to lose this job because he was a, quote, danger to his students, morality, character, and religion. I could see that. Yeah, Bhagwan is a very... Uh, He's playing outside of the lines here. Yeah. He bounced around as far as teaching jobs went, but in 1960, he secured a position as the head philosophy professor for Jabalpur University. 
At the same time he was working as a professor, Bhagwan traveled around India under the name Archie. Uh, move along. <laughs> I can't remember how I said it the first time. Well, it'd be even better if you say it differently every other time. <laughs> <Yeah. you do. laughs> Under the name Acharya Rajneesh, giving lectures criticizing socialism, Gandhi, and institutional religions. His big thing was that socialism would only normalize poverty more, and he said that Gandhi was a masochist who worshipped poverty. Oh, just like Mother Teresa, but uh, that's a different story. We'll talk about, <laughs> we'll talk about that on another day. Enough for Bible Bound. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> How about the cat? <laughs> According to Bhagwan, what India needed to get out of this poverty and old ways of thinking was capitalism, science, modern technology, and birth control. He said Orthodox Indian religions were dead, filled with empty ritual, oppressing their followers with fears of damnation and promises of blessings. Did you know when Gandhi's wife died, he started sleeping with naked young women just to test himself? Really? Kind of interesting, I always thought. I didn't know if that was a setup for a joke or no? if that was true. No. Yeah, I, got, I was kind of waiting. No, really? <laughs> yeah. Like he was an old dude and he would sleep with naked young women just to test his resolve or his self-restraint or whatever you want to call it. Interesting wow. fellow, that Gandhi. Only had some blue chew, though. Probably <laughs> also. You think that's what it was? Well. He just said, oh, I'm just, uh, you know, tempting myself to show I can handle it. Meanwhile, he really just couldn't get a bone. Well, that dick's been dead for <laughs> Is that what it was? <laughs> two decades. <laughs> Talking like this publicly made him very controversial, but he also attracted a loyal following that can, that included a solid chunk of wealthy businessmen. These people started paying Bhagwan for one-on-one -on -one sessions about their spiritual development and daily life. And this wasn't like Bhagwan was just going on, on the weekends and struck gold on a few businessmen. He was grinding to get his message out to the point where he couldn't sleep in a normal bed anymore because he was so used to sleeping on rocks or a moving van. Not sure I could sleep on rocks, me personally. <laughs> no. No. I, I feel like I would try to find somewhere a little better. Maybe some grass. Yeah. Somewhere. He's Not put, rocks. He's putting in the miles. <laughs> he's putting in the miles. He's paying his dues. Okay. It's going to pay off, I feel, though. With the addition of one-on-one -on -one meetings, business blew up for Bhagwan, and starting in 1962, he began to hold three- to ten-day meditation camps, and the first meditation centers of his started to show up using the name Life Awakening Movement. After a couple years and things growing so steady, it wasn't easy to keep hiding that he was a successful guru on the side, so in 1966, the university fired Bhagwan. Uh, Ian, what was the actual Indian name of the Life Awakening uh, <laughs> movement? I prefer if you'd use its actual Indian name. I don't know it. Oh, okay. Do you know it, Dave? No. I know President Clinton knows it, but he already left. Yeah, he's out of the building. He would have told us, but he didn't stick around long. No. They whisk him in, they whisk him out. He hits it and he quits it. Guy's busy. Before we get to the teachings, we need to talk about sannyasa. Is 
the sannyasa in Hinduism is a religious person who has shed themselves from the world and possessions by performing their own funeral, effectively abandoning all ties to social or family relationships. Followers of Bhagwan were called sannyasas within the group, but to the outside world, they were referred to as Rajneeshis. But sometimes they referred to themselves as Rajneeshis. It's all kind of confusing. Adding more confusion to the yeah, entire story. It's very fucking confusing. But the main idea is that you give up all your possessions and money to Bhagwan. It's weird how that's the main idea of every call. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Interesting. I'm seeing a theme. Yeah. Hmm. Starting off with Bhagwan's teachings, his Ten Commandments were, one, never obey anyone's command unless it's coming from within you also. Two, there is no God other than life itself. Three, truth is within you. Do not search for it elsewhere. Four, love is prayer. Five, Becoming a nothingness is the door to truth. Nothingness itself is the means of the goal and attainment. Six, life is now and here. Seven, live wakefully. Eight, do not swim, float. Nine, die each moment so that you can be new each moment. Ten, do not search. That is which is, is. Stop and see. And there, whenever these were printed anywhere on any literature or anything like that, three, seven, nine, and ten were always in bold or underlined. Like you really focused on those ones. I gotta say, these aren't bad. I kind of dig these uh, commandments. Mm, they're okay. They're better than Yahweh's commandments. I need a lot more explanation on some of these. Okay, fair enough. But so far, I'm liking them. Better than Yahweh's. Much better than Yahweh's. More of this on Bible Babble, perhaps? Perhaps. Or perhaps not. You never know. <laughs> perhaps by, within 20 minutes we'll forget all about this. <laughs> only three Bible Babbles left, Mike. Not that he's looking forward to it or anything. <laughs> Bhagwan's teachings varied over time and changed a lot, making it difficult to really narrow down a core belief system. The best, and you know what's interesting is later on in this too, he'll claim that he never wanted a religion. Like this was never a religious movement. Um, the best way to describe what Bhagwan taught was Eastern mysticism mixed with Western science and social ideas. Then throw in a whole bunch of free sex and some aggressive ideas on population control. And that's pretty much what he was teaching. I'm intrigued, quite, quite frankly. I, I might be joining this cult after we're done here. This is sounding pretty, pretty good so far. It's quite a mix. Yeah. A little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of free love. Do you think he just kind of looked at what he thought might be the most popular mm. of ideologies and was like, I'm going to put this together? Quite He's possibly. a smart guy. I mean, that you have to be a smart be, guy. Yeah. All cult leaders are smart, charismatic individuals. I don't think Marshall Applewhite was all that bright. Well, he had uh, Bonnie Nettles. Brother Francis. <laughs> that, that guy was awesome, Brother Francis. <laughs> I don't remember. Is that a bit? Yeah, yeah I couldn't tell you anything about it, though. <laughs> it was kind of like uh, the Andre Chicatello voice, but it was Dave doing it. <laughs> like he was 
Brother Francis talking to All right. talking to Bonnie Nettles. Available in our archives. But it was like it was her husband. <laughs> it was like he was doing her husband was actually Brother Francis talking to her. I have no idea. Saying like, why don't you give your husband a blowjob and stuff? <laughs> oh, it's always good advice. So. I stand behind that advice. <laughs> Ladies, also people who don't understand that think now Andre Chikatilo is somehow involved. (laughs) (laughs) Got to know the back archives. Yeah. Deep cuts. Deep cuts. So if you're out there listening to this episode with your spouse or other significant other, give them a blowjob real quick. Pause the show. (laughs) Like Brother Francis advises. (laughs) Give them a quick hummer. Don't forget the balls. Then uh, come back to the show. It'll be here. It's good advice. We're not going anywhere. Yeah. We'll, st- we'll sit here and wait for you. Go ahead right now. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> How was that Hummer, huh? You thank me later, fellas. <laughs> Spitters or quitters? Just <laughs> had to get that one in there. <laughs> From reading into things and watching Wild Wild Country, it seems... Like, aside from the open sex, the biggest thing Bhagwan was doing differently was his version of meditation. Bhagwan said meditation should not just be a practice, but a state of awareness to be maintained in every moment of life. A total awareness that awakens a person from their life of being conditioned by beliefs and expectations. He offered more than 100 meditation techniques in total, His active meditation techniques are broken down by stages of physical activity leading to silence. The most famous of these is dynamic meditation done with closed or blindfolded eyes. It consists of five stages, four of which are accompanied by music. First, the person does 10 minutes of rapid breathing through their nose. (laughs) That's so gross sounding. (laughs) The second 10 minutes are for catharsis. Whatever you feel at the moment, do it. Ah! (laughs) Did you feel scared? (laughs) What what was very cathartic? I don't know. (laughs) Who are we to question? We shouldn't be questioning this. It's just whatever pops in my head. (laughs) (laughs) it's not very relaxing doing that noise i don't know it doesn't feels like the opposite of meditation kind of ruining my meditation yeah (laughs) next for 10 minutes the person jumps up and down with their arms raised shouting quote who each time they land flat on their feet I, I read that Morris Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Ho! <laughs> That's how I choose to interpret that one. USA! USA! Fourth, the silent stage. The person stops moving suddenly and remains completely motionless for 15 minutes, watching everything that is happening. The last stage of the meditation is 15 minutes of dancing and celebrating. I sent you guys a video of that from... Yeah, it was interesting. That was something. That's a word for it. Doesn't seem like meditation. No. A lot of it's jumping around and screaming, kind of doing what you were doing a little bit. Acting like you're in a cult. 
really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fucking acting like they're in a cult. Take my money. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the same movements I saw people doing at those uh Kanye live performances of his new album. Yeah. Like people watching just started jumping around like that, like they were in a cult. It's like waving their arms up in the air and yeah. stuff. Like, cause their ears hurt or they were just, no, cause they're in a cult. Dave. Oh. They're in a fucking cult. <laughs> Kanye is the leader. And he makes you dress like a hobo bum. <laughs> and you pay thousands of dollars for that. I just read today. There's a new $90 hoodie coming out of the gap. New yeah, Kanye it's already hoodie. sold out. Huh? All colors are gone. Unbelievable. He knows. <laughs> he knows. You can go to uh, Walmart, buy like a black hoodie, just tear it all up, and then say it's you know. It's not even that; they're just straight up hoodies. That's what the the article I read said. It looks like a Walmart hoodie. Yeah. yeah. So you don't have to cut it That's up. Exactly what it Walmart. said. They're really yeah. They're just like those baggy, oversized hoodies. Isn't that how hoodies are supposed to be? Like, yeah. Like, I mean, they're like a like little a good, thicker, but a good hoodie should be a little oversized, baggy, yeah. comfortable. Oh yeah. You're not buying hoodies to wear them tight. No. It's like choking you at the neck. Like, this is so cool. Yeah. I would not pay $90 for a plain hoodie. But you knew they were all sold out. I did know that. Yeah. <laughs> How did you know that? He's like, wasn't from being should any- one want this black hoodie <laughs> in a size XL? Could one add it to its cart right now? <laughs> no. God damn it. I wouldn't buy this anyway. Yeah, fuck it. Stupid hoodie. <laughs> I'm going to go get my Yeezys and look at them. <laughs> they're not even like maybe if it was like a really unique color you know what colors what I mean? they have black it white just tan like and gray black two different shades of brown a red a purple a blue i think that was a two shades of brown i think that was it you want a dark poop or light poop if it was like some faded blue or something maybe you can get two necronomapod hoodies at uh, amazon.com for that price in 1968, Baguan's talks started to focus almost solely on the acceptance of sex and sexuality, earning him the nickname in Indian media as the sex guru, and he got a ton of backlash. In his lectures on the sacredness of sexuality, he claimed that it was a vital part of achieving spiritual growth and higher consciousnesses. Mike, you're the king of vagina. Did you uh, <laughs> ever achieve spiritual growth and higher consciousness? No, I was just plowing pussy. <laughs> okay. See? Just throwing out O's wherever I could. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> he said that religion and norms restricted freedom of sexual expression by associating it with shame and embarrassment. He said that the secrecy and shame surrounding sex prevented children from getting the proper education they needed to understand sex and their own desires. I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I'm on board so far with his ideas on sex, some of it. He believed that many religions focus too much on the reward of the afterlife, dismissing the beauty and joys that were right in front of them. Yes, exactly. Rajneesh. Dave, where do I send all my money? Where do I Venmo my life savings to you? Bhagwan is, uh, he's not that off the rails. No, not at all. Give it time, kind sirs. <laughs> I fear trouble might, might lie ahead. Oh, Mike, no. Is it all going to come crashing down? I don't know. Or see what Ian takes us in part two, and then he'll add a part three and four and five. And <laughs> Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Hijinks ensue. 
he said that love could become trapped and unreachable inside of a person and could only be released through sexual expression and the teachings of Beguan. Mm. It's a little getting off the rails with that sentence a little bit that he's the only one. It's a bit elitist. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, This is where he really loses me though. But Guan was pretty liberal with all this stuff um, with, you know, free loving and everything. But he was not a fan of the LGBTQ community and sex workers. He claimed that open conversations about sex being taboo caused people to develop what he said were unhealthy behaviors like being gay or making money from anything sexual, even though that's kind of what Baguan's going to end up doing here. God damn it, Baguan. <laughs> now you lost me. I was coming along here. I was ready to move in with these guys. And now with the homophobic shit. You got to Venmo your money back. God damn it. The best thing out of that sentence was Ian almost making up the word taboo. And I, <laughs> I, I want that to be the word now. <laughs> taboo. Oh, I'm not going there. That's so taboo. <laughs> <laughs> Like, that's my favorite mistake. He's he's he didn't even make it. He caught himself. But I wish he would have made that. That's my favorite mistake he's ever made. Taboo. I say that he doesn't. I make more mistakes reading names. He doesn't make a ton of mistakes, but taboo is just awesome. Ah, uh, fucking Baguan! Come on, man. I got to bail on you. Hmm. Has there ever been a cult leader right. didn't fuck everything up? They all seem to have yeah. that a lot of homophobic stuff. Yeah. Free love, but only man and woman. No go, Baguan. Give me all of your possessions. Children of God was very homophobic. Yeah. These guys, Jim Jones was on the outside. Was uh, the Branch Davidians? I don't remember that. I'm sure they probably probably were. I mean, the Bible's the Bible, right? Well, that's true. No one was having sex there, right? It was just... uh, which yeah, Caress was fucking everyone's yeah. wife. Just yeah. fucking all the wives. So never mind. That was stupid. Come on, Mike. Act like you're an expert on all this. L. Ron Hubbard, very homophobic. Yeah, they still yeah. are. There's some something about that with He wouldn't leaders. even audit those kids' cocks outside of the window. <laughs> he wouldn't. He ignored their pleas. Yeah. All right. I wonder what it is about that. It's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Kanye's cult won't be that way, Ian. Don't worry. All right. You get your... Poop brown sweatshirt. <laughs> you can wear you can wear that brown sweatshirt with your orange Yeezys. You're a real brown. <laughs> Welcome aboard. Pal. It's not like you want to be a Steelers fan this year. Uh, here we go. Yeah. Sports talk with Davian and Mike. Oof, terrible. It's not what great. Are the, what are the Steelers? Owen two. No, one, one, and, one and, two. and two. One and two. There we go. Please sign Roethlisberger Jeez. for uh, another long-term <laughs> deal. He's great. Sign him. Let him play another five years. Not everyone could be Tom Brady. <laughs> Not everyone can get literally better with age. It's true. You cannot argue with that. Didn't he just throw for five touchdowns the other week? Yeah. Like two weeks ago. Fucking unreal. Yeah. The best part about this like entire bit with me and him is that like I just keep winning. Like he just keeps pulling through and making me look like a goddamn genius. We're from Cleveland. We're gonna talk about how great the Browns are, and now you gotta start sucking Tom Brady's cock. Well, it, it was a good comparison because Ben Roethlisberger is pretty much <laughs> ready for the old folks home. Tom Brady is what? Quadruple his age? And he's throwing five touchdowns. <laughs> 
saying. Don't get me wrong. Baker Mayfield is hands down the next Tom Brady. I think we can all agree on that. I absolutely believe that. And, uh, you know, he's also banging someone hotter than Giselle, in my opinion. So oh. He wins. Bold call. <laughs> Ian's met them up close and personal. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? On his wife? Yeah. Yeah, she's very attractive. Yeah. I'll translate. May gusta. <laughs> <laughs> Roll Tide. <laughs> So at a public meditation event in 1970, Bhagwan showed off dynamic meditation for the first time. This had all been going on in Jabalpur, but he left for Mumbai at the end of June 1970. On September 26, 1970, he officially announced his first group of disciples, or as he called them, Neo-Sanyasins. Becoming a disciple meant assuming a new name and wearing the traditional orange dress of Hindu holy men, including a mala necklace and carrying a locket with Bhagwan's picture. Even though he had made them have a picture of him in a, in a locket, Bhagwan said he himself was not to be worshipped, but regarded as, quote, a son encouraging the flower to open. They were also allowed to wear maroon in red, it was like that whole color scheme mm. from orange, like even some like darker pinks, mm. some lighter purple. I wish we could dress like that with the robes. It's got to be so comfortable. Well, they didn't have robes. They just like their shirts, like they could wear like what we're wearing right now. Oh, I thought it said robes. Just the color scheme. Oh, okay. Just the, yeah, just the color scheme. Because if you see pictures of them, like sometimes they do have the rose, but yeah. then other times they're just wearing like what we would be okay. wearing. Right. And it's all, it has to be in that color right. scheme. I'll wear a robe with you if you guys want to start wearing robes when we record. Like like if you could dress like the Saudis with those chic robes, like doesn't that just look so comfortable? I mean, I'm thinking more of like a Hugh Hefner type well, of that kind of robe. <laughs> I just want, well, I don't, I know just a robe, like pajama pants, slippers all day. That does sound pretty comfortable. Yeah. Mm. Just sit down here recording all in robes. <laughs> I want to dress. Like I tell you who would show up every week is Mr. President. He's wearing so. robes, smoking cigars, drinking, <laughs> drinking some bourbon. Hey, you fellas know how to party down here. Like how he pops back in now for that. We got him on Skype. Yeah, he's available. <laughs> he chimes. He mutes us. Goes about his business. Whatever you know, top secret former presidential duties he has, <laughs> and he'll pop in. when He's got something to say. I'd like to dress like those Saudi sheiks. It has to be so comfortable. I hate wearing pants. It has to be fantastic. <laughs> just flow. Yeah. It seems awesome to me. Dave's such know. a basic white man. <laughs> Comes home every day, takes off his pants, walks around the house, just in his underwear. Or belts. Like belts are terrible. I just want a robe. I don't usually wear belts anymore. Ugh. Like I, I'll find pants that just fit yeah. comfortably. Ugh. I wear jeans like two times a year. Usually I just wear sweatpants. But like I even oh, found yeah. jeans that I don't need belts for. I like that. Mm. You got to search, but yeah, I don't like wearing belts unless they're world championship belts that I've won in various grappling competitions. I might order a chic robe. (laughs) (laughs) Test it out. Tell me, tell me you've had more than a few beers without telling me you've had more than a few beers. He's talking about wearing chic robes tonight. After naming these first disciples, Bhagwan named Laxmi Thakarsi Karua. Yeah. That's pretty good. Well done. Who, as a disciple, had taken the name Ma Yoga Laxmi. 
as his secretary. Laxmi was the daughter of one of his early followers, a wealthy man who had been a key supporter of the Indian National Congress during the struggle for Indian independence with close ties to Gandhi. She was able to provide money that allowed Bhagwan to stop traveling to gain followers and settle down. Is there something interfering with your happiness? Something keeping you from achieving your 2020 goals? Let's face it. These are certainly trying times. From being cooped up inside your home to wondering how you're going to pay next month's bills, we're all experiencing some form of stress or strain on our mental health. And for that, BetterHelp is here for us. BetterHelp is an online mental health provider that will assess your needs and match you up with your own licensed professional therapist. The best part? No waiting rooms. That's a pretty big deal if you're as impatient as I am. BetterHelp is a safe and private online environment that will have you communicating with a counselor within the first 24 hours. And once you've begun, you can send your counselor a message at any time, always getting a helpful response in a timely manner. You even have the ability to schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all from the comfort of your very own couch. BetterHelp is available worldwide and has a broad range of expertise available, including licensed professional counselors who specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflict, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're currently recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Not happy with your counselor? No worries. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches and makes it easy and free to change counselors if needed. Remember, Everything you share with your BetterHelp counselor is completely confidential. And while it's not a crisis line, it is a convenient, professional, and affordable way to seek the help you deserve. Financial aid is even offered to those who qualify. Want to hear how BetterHelp assisted people just like you? Check out the testimonials posted daily on their site. Look, we here at Necronomapod want you to start living a happier life. So, as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting BetterHelp.com Necro. Join over 1 million people already taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, better H-E-L-P, dot com slash Necro. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. In December 1970, he moved to the Woodlands apartment in Mumbai, where he gave lectures and received visitors, among them his first Western visitors. Then the following year in 1971, he adopted the title Bhagwan Shri Rajneesh, Bhagwan meaning blessed one and Shri being the equivalent to sir in English. Did they use any of the Kama Sutra and all this free love over there? I wonder. I don't know what was. It's a good book, man. Mm. Kama Sutra. Lots of good positions. I'm a co-author of that. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> Mike's guide to successfully implement every position in the Kama Sutra. Mm-hmm. Knowing the clit does not exist. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, you should work around that. 
Well, they thought it did when they they're when setting they up this whole you. game for you, making it based on that. Yeah. I'm giving you the real story about how you actually go about business. Got it. Yeah. Not wasting your time. Yeah. Like you're, you're, you know, what is this fucking national treasure? I can <laughs> I mean, jumping around all over looking for hidden clues. No, just get to the point. Here it is. Yeah. Co-author. Okay. For some reason they don't give me credit on that. I don't That's know why. Mm. <laughs> I submitted so many stories. Mm. Mm. Strange. Mm. So that brings us to 1972 when Bhagwan met the woman who probably is going to become more of the focus of the story in the end, Ma Anand Sheila. <clears throat> oh, it's a curveball, Ian. I thought this was all about Bhagwan. Yeah, Bhagwan's going to take a backseat here for wow. a while. Wow. Okay. I'm going to do your job for you over here. <laughs> Sheila was born Sheila Ambalal Patal in 1949 in Jarat State, India, and is the youngest of six children. Sheila changed her name to Ma Anad after becoming a disciple of Bhagwan's. And interesting, all the women, when they changed their name, had Ma in the beginning of it. That was one of his rules that they had to have that. Mm. And it's like the, um, it's like, I don't even know what what you would call it. Like identifying as a woman in a name, like what is like the prefix. Okay. It's a, the, it's a Ma is a prefix that means that they're able to give birth. Mm. Okay. Duly noted. That was his rule. All women had That's to have that. a lot of rules. God acts like he's running a cult or something. <laughs> <laughs> At 18 years old, she moved to the United States and attended Montclair State College in New Jersey. From there, Sheila met and married a guy named Mark Harris Silverman, who was an American from Highland Park, Illinois, and took the name Sheila P. Silverman. In 1972, when Sheila was 22, she was offered an art apprenticeship in northern India and was waiting for her husband to finish his exams before they moved there. The plan was interrupted when she received word that her mother was having complications from an eye surgery, so Sheila returned to her hometown in India to be with her mother with the plan that Mark would come after he finished those exams. Just like you, Mike, coming after you finish your exams and your professor's. <laughs> That sounds about right. <laughs> I don't recall all the specifics, but <laughs> probably. One day she visited her mother in the hospital and then traveled with her father to visit with a cousin in Mumbai. As it turned out, Bhagwan lived really close to where Sheila and her father were staying, so they decided to visit Bhagwan. Usually Bhagwan didn't see anyone that wasn't on his schedule, but for whatever reason, Sheila and her father were let right in. Because they had money. <laughs> Stop. Hey, this is her story. <laughs> According to Sheila, Bhagwan held her to his chest and she, quote, looked at him with a completely dissolved heart. When you listen to her tell it, she has, she's, you know, has tears running Aww, down her face. So sweet. She just knew at that, mm. just the first time seeing him that... She's like a Jeffrey Dahmer victim, completely dissolved heart. <laughs> Fair statement. In a vat of acid in the 
Wow. <laughs> living room. Now we're getting carried away. When her husband, Mark, showed up in India, the first thing Sheila did was introduce Mark to Bhagwan. Mark was impressed with Bhagwan from the standpoint that he was an intelligent guy, but Mark wasn't sold on the spiritual side of things. Bhagwan invited them to one of his meditation camps, and at that point, Sheila and Mark were completely sold on Bhagwan. This is when Sheila would start the process of becoming an official sannyasa and changing her name. Once Sheila and Mark were completely devoted to Bhagwan, he started to test their loyalty. According to Sheila, Bhagwan sent her and Mark to meditate in an area of snowy mountains for three weeks. Then Bhagwan asked them to go back to America and cut off ties to the people that they knew there. Then after this was done, Sheila and Mark were sent to live in an experimental dorm-style commune with other followers. Like open sex, not sharing the same bedroom, completely open. Um, and even though Sheila fully believed in Bhagwan, according to her, she still had a hard time with this. And she actually wrote about it in her journals saying that she was really relieved that it didn't take long for the experiment to end because Bhagwan was getting tired of living in Mumbai. Is this a, like a swingers commune kind of thing where she was banging everyone or everyone was just watching her and Mark? I think everybody's banging everybody. Okay. The, it's a little different. Yeah. His, his whole teaching was that marriage is, should be a non-existent thing in culture. Hmm. That marriage should just be done away with completely. Interesting. Interesting point of view. You back on board? <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't get past the homophobia. Fucking Baguan. You almost had me. You're reeling me in, pal. The humid climate of Mumbai was not good for Baguan's health. Or anyone else's, I'm sure. It sounds yeah. awful. Right. He ended up developing diabetes, asthma, and a bunch of allergies. In 1974, he moved to a property in Corgan Park, Pune, purchased with the help of Mayoga Mukta, a.k.a. Catherine Venelos, who was a Greek heiress. Bhagwan spoke at the Pune ashram from 1974 to 1981. There were two adjoining houses and six acres of land that became the center of an ashram. It was set up to have audio recording and later video recording and printing of Bhagwan's teachings made for worldwide distribution, allowing him to reach larger audiences, resulting in more Western followers. The ashram soon had an arts and crafts center, produced clothes, jewelry, ceramics, and had live performances of music. Like a straight-up getaway resort type thing, mm. but all based around religion or his, you know, spiritual teachings. Dave's needle is now moving back towards the center. <laughs> <laughs> but you can, all, you can only wear maroon, maroon down to orange. Mm. Like, was everybody fucking? Like just oh, like yeah. swinger colony. Yeah. It's like oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, wait till we get with next week when we get to the FBI investigation. One of the FBI officers um, in an interview, he said, like he was shocked when they first showed up for their investigation. There were two people just fucking on the just on the ground. Wow. Just broad daylight right in front of everybody. Mm. That's the life. It's gonna be a good part too. 
That's the life. Live music. Fucking anybody you want. <laughs> I'm assuming they had kegs of Miller Lite posted all up over the resort. No drinking or drugs. I'm out. What? Fuck that. This is, a, this is a cult. What I'm do you out. think? You could have led with this. Still. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. I'm out. Yeah, I draw the line at homophobic teetotalers. That's uh, <laughs> it's not my game, pal. Look, if I'm out, if a cult leader really <laughs> wanted to reel me in, get me fucking shit faced, and then start spewing your nonsense, you have a better chance. Just saying. <laughs> the Pune Ashram was, by all accounts, an exciting and fun place to be. Yeah, it sounds like. It. <laughs> the day began at 6 a.m. with dynamic meditation. Then at 8 a.m., Bhagwan gave a 60 to 90 minute random lecture just about whatever he was he was feeling in the ashram's Buddha Hall auditorium, commenting on religious writings or answering questions from visitors and disciples. During the day, all kinds of various meditations and therapies were done. And then in the evenings, Bhagwan talked to individual followers or visitors. Some of the early therapy groups in the ashram like the encounter group were experimental, allowing physical violence as well as sexual activity between people. Spoiler reports of injuries and things like that happening in encounter group sessions started showing up in the press. <laughs> Very violent. There is a video that come that uh, we'll talk about next week too that someone um, snuck in like a hidden camera. Yeah. Very aggressive stuff like this one woman being held down i'm like that is like constituting sexual assault like it's crazy i wonder what the point of that is i don't know but it's therapy from your therapy i guess it's wild let's uh throw a wild bear in the mix now (laughs) (laughs) but I, i see where people um make the argument with all that this meditation or his style of it how it would break you down after a while like you're screaming and doing all that stuff and you're jumping up and down, but you're not jumping up and down. Normally you're landing flat on your feet just over and over again. That's going to, it's an awkward way to mm. land. It's going to wear you out more. Yeah. Okay. Like people would talk about when they were done and they were sitting there, like they couldn't even get up. They were so, they had so much energy of his in them. You know, it was just like they were overcome by him and they couldn't get up. He or, was breaking them without them even realizing. Yeah. Mm. And then you add in the, the this very violent and aggressive stuff on top of that. Richard Price, who at the time was a high up human potential movement therapist and co-founder of the Esalen Institute, just different new age stuff. He tried out the encounter meditation and was not thrilled. He ended up getting a broken arm after being locked in a room for eight hours with Rajneeshis who were armed with wooden canes. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck? Once word started getting around to the public, uh, violence in the therapy groups ended in January 1979 when the ashram issued a press release stating that the violence, quote, had fulfilled its function within the overall context of the ashram and in, as an evolving spiritual commune. Okay, so violence over. Yeah. It's back to the fucking now. It worked. We're done oh, with okay. it. Fair enough. We fixed everybody. <laughs> now start fucking again. Yeah. Grab a hole. Holes is holes. <laughs> Also in 1979, Bhagwan was finding that the Bune Ashram 
was too small to maintain the growth, and he asked that his inner circle find somewhere bigger to move to. Sannyasins were sent out to start looking for a spot in India to move to, but that was proving to be pretty difficult. No one in the Indian government was thrilled with Bhagwan's teachings, especially once the violent yoga or meditation started coming out. And in reality, most people in India were not thrilled with Bhagwan. Westerners who moved to India made up most of his following. Like I've heard of hot yoga, but violent yoga has got to be a whole new, whole different thing. Like someone's doing the downward dog, just go up and punch him in his nuts. <laughs> that sounds horrible. I'm confused. I mean, I would absolutely watch that. <laughs> it's like jackass going on in there. Yeah, right. I'm confused how yoga, like the term yoga is used next to that guy getting locked in a room yeah, and they had right, wooden right. weapons. Like, what about that is yoga? You don't get it, Ian. Oh, okay. <laughs> Maybe this cult's not for you, Ian. You clearly don't uh, line up philosophically with what we're trying to do here. Like, I imagine that guy being real fucking confused. He thought he was going in doing yoga. And they're yeah, just right. like, beat the fuck out of him. Yeah. <laughs> Dude's with canes. You've been yoga'd, motherfucker. <laughs> Tensions were rising between Bhagwan and the Indian government, and they started denying land deals that the ashram was using more importantly the government stopped issuing visas to foreign visitors who said that the ashram was why they were there but the biggest blow came in the form of the government canceling the the tax exempt status of the ashram resulting in an estimated five million dollars owed oh that'll ruin your day (laughs) yeah it's exactly what should happen in this country cancel the uh tax exempt status of every church Pay your taxes, churches. More of that on Bible Babble next month. Just my opinion. Scientology should definitely. Yeah, pay your taxes. They would be done that day. That would be it for them. (laughs) If it was retrospective like that. Retroactive, is that what you're saying? What's retrospective? (laughs) Did I I say retrospective? (laughs) (laughs) Retroactive. (laughs) Like, wait a minute. What's retrospective? Well... Like, oh, thinking, in retrospective. In, thinking back. Oh, that money I had before the government took it all. Speaking retrospectively, Scientology would be fucked if they were retroactively taxed. So by 1981, Bhagwan's ashram had 30,000 visitors per year. Then on April 10th, 1981, after talking to his followers daily for 15 years, Bhagwan started a three and a half year period of public silence. And at the same time, Ma Anand Sheila replaced Ma Yoga Lakshmi as Bhagwan's secretary. As 1981 went forward, the tensions around the Pune ashram between the Indian government and Bhagwan were boiling over, and discussion of moving the ashram to the United States started being discussed. On June 1st, 1981, Bhagwan traveled to the United States on a temporary visa for medical purposes and spent several months at a Rajneesh retreat center that was set up in New Jersey. And this is when Bhagwan's teaching and all he had built turned into a true multi-million dollar, possibly billion dollar organization. I think those Jersey guys like the uh, Bhagwan coming there. Probably like, oh! <laughs> We don't need no ashram in Jersey. Oh. I can see them getting pretty upset about that. Ashram. 
It's their territory, right? <laughs> Maybe not the same market, though, right? I don't know if they're going after the same thing. I just picture Tony Soprano and the fellas sitting around the Satrials, I don't know, talking about the Baguan moving into <laughs> in Newark with his Ashram. <laughs> Baga what? <laughs> I'll have to get to episode two someday. You'll have to do that. <laughs> Not long after he was in New Jersey, Sheila made a public statement saying Bhagwan was in grave danger if he stayed in India. So leaving for the United States was necessary for surgery. Even though Sheila said the medical situation was super serious, Bhagwan never got medical treatment outside of the New Jersey center during his time in the United States. And this was all about figuring out where to move the ashram. I mean, a cult leader being dishonest like that is something we've never seen before. <laughs> I think that's a fact, right? We've never seen a dishonest cult leader. <laughs> never. They're always very truthful in their dealings. Speaking of cult leaders, uh, I believe we'd like to confirm right now that uh, Promised Land is not dead. Oh, no, no, it's not. <laughs> there will It'll still be, be a conclusion to that series. Two, two more episodes, yeah. It'll be done. By 2023, <laughs> Promised Land will be concluded. I thought you were going to say it's not dead because it's going to live in our hearts and minds forever. <laughs> no, I have more faith in that. <laughs> We've been getting some questions and comments and uh, frankly, just not responding to any of them. But so I figured I'd just do it here. <laughs> hey, Moses and the Israelites wandered the desert for 40 years before they got to the Promised Land. So... So you can wait a few months, yeah. fuckos. <laughs> I really wanted to get it done this week. This because I was really like, all right, I'm gonna sit down and do it. Then I got sick and wanted to make sure this got done. So it'll be out soon. Soon's a relative turn, so don't put any time frame around. This. I just yeah. wanted to confirm that it wasn't over. There's more, two more episodes. <laughs> Understood. <laughs> that was that was because people were asking like if that was the end of it. No, there's there's two more episodes. Ian's going to land the plane on that whole story. So like we said, this was getting its way to a, being a million dollar, you know, multi-million, possibly billion dollar organization. At this point, the movement had a sophisticated legal and business setup and had created a corporate structure consisting of multiple front companies and subsidiaries. There were three main organizations within the Rajneesh movement, the Rajneesh International Foundation, the Rajneesh Investment Corporation, which managed the RFI, and the Rajneesh Neo Sanyasin International Commune, the umbrella organization that oversaw all investment activities was Rajneesh Services International, LTD, a company incorporated in the UK, but based in Zurich. There were also smaller organizations like the Rajneesh Travel Corp, Rajneesh Community Holdings, and the Rajneesh Modern Car Collection Trust, whose sole purpose was to deal with the purchases of Rolls Royces. The <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck out of here. Baguan starts living the life. Yeah, I can tell. It was estimated that by the mid 80s, Baguan was bringing in 120 million a year. So 120 million in 80s money. Mm -hmm. It's okay. It's not bad. <laughs> not bad. <at> all. <laughs> and those Rolls Royces got him a lot of attention. 
the media reported on his collection because he just stood out. You have this, this older guy looks like what you would consider a traditional guru. He's got a long beard, but then he rolls out in this brand new Rolls Royce wearing a million dollar watch. And he really liked Rolls Royces to the point that he had 93 of them. <laughs> Nothing makes me want to sell all my possessions and give them money than someone with 93 Rolls Royces. <laughs> it's a good selling point. You don't even have time to enjoy half of those. It's ridiculous. Like, I don't know how you see that. And you're like, yep, here's all my money, pal. <laughs> you're the real deal. Well, especially when they're not providing kegs of Miller Lite. <laughs> Any self-respecting guru worth his weight or worth his salt if you will, would have a keg of Miller Lite on tap. I don't disagree. Ready to go for all cult members. I mean, with all that fucking, you're going to get parched. (laughs) That's right. You need to cool down with great taste and less filling. Delicious Miller Lite. (laughs) Notice your seat is back down to normal. We touched on this on the cool down show. Do we? Are you fucking around with me? Well, I I just, I sit on my legs sometimes. I think that's. Oh, maybe that's what you were doing. Yeah. On the cool down show, I was look, looking up at you, and then now I'm like, oh, he's back to normal. I just noticed. All right, maybe that's what you were just doing. Just fidgety. All right. I just, I, I never noticed you being, you know, higher. Like that? It was that. That's exactly what it was. Sitting on my leg. All right. I, if you had done that in the past, I did not notice, but <laughs> yesterday it fucking threw me off. So like you said, Dave, it kind of contradicts itself, uh, becoming a sannyasa, and then... Baguan's out here with a million dollar watch and some Rolls Royces. A million dollar watch. Can you imagine? Yeah. If you ever seen this, it's just like when he comes out, cause he's always praying. Right. So he's wearing like the, the, there's something about him like gives off this aura. Cause he's wearing like the straight up guru stuff. He Which goes, portrays like a poverty kind of setting. Right. Bro, but yeah. then he comes out praying. He's got this watch <laughs> on that is literally just diamonds. That's all it is. <laughs> so it's just like glittering. That's all. It's just glowing in the light and it's all diamonds. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to function if I had a million dollar watch on. Like, I just wouldn't move. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't even want anyone looking at it because something's going to fuck it up. Like, don't move. Don't touch it. The insurance and loan on a million dollar watch Exactly. What is the point? So dumb. Yeah. Eh. It's a different world, friends. I think I wear an $80 watch. (laughs) Does just fine. Tells me what time it is. Never had any issues with it. Even you know what? Even tells me the the date. See, that's mm-hmm. a bonus. There you go. Bonus. Just saying, <laughs> does what it's supposed to do. Yeah, although it's straps falling apart a little bit here on the <laughs> side. I mean, you go for the utilitarian kind of watch, so it doesn't need to be flashy. No, nope. just need to know what time it is. That's all the without having to pull it. my phone out of my pocket or exactly. look at it all the time. I want it right there on my wrist. I just look up at the sun and see where it's at, and that's how I tell time. Oh, you're a true outdoorsman. Well, yeah, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I am not. Ian always knows it's two thirty because he has to go to Speedway and sees his <laughs> raccoon buddies. I'm a well. If I continue this no smoking trend, look at you being all Mister Healthy no, Boy. Let's say bye to the raccoons. There's no need for me to go anymore. They'll be oh, heartbroken. Man, it's gonna be a sad day. I haven't. I haven't hit my vape this whole episode. I will remember <laughs> you. <laughs> Will you remember me? And it's gonna be like a sad raccoon, like looking out of a dumpster. Yeah. As you like drive away and like your, your headlights just slowly fade out. 
like a tear goes down like the raccoon's face. Then it cuts to you in the, the car with a tear going down your face. And then they all start eating garbage again. Yeah. They go back In, to eating. Their including you, including you with your Wendy's triple. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't smoked in almost a week. It'll be a week. It's good. Tomorrow. No time like the present to quit. Halfway there. Sinyasin's justified Bhagwan's spending by seeing the cars as a tool for getting publicity for the movement. Some saw them as a good business investment or as a test and others saw it as an expression of Bhagwan's hatred of people generally just trying to be considered middle class instead of more. Regardless of how they justified it, all the sannyasas were on board and started pushing the slogan, Jesus saves, Moses invests, Bhagwan spends. Whatever the fuck that means. Okay. <laughs> Back to the work Sheila was doing, she proved to be a really good secretary because she found a place for the ashram really quick. And on June 13th, 1981, Sheila's husband signed a purchase contract to buy a ranch in Oregon for $5.75 million. And that is where we will pick back up on part two. It's like an 80,000 acre ranch, right? Yes, yeah, it's, it's enormous. Huge. Yeah. Mm. 1981 money. Wow. And in part two, we'll get into how everything we just set up would turn into the largest bioterrorism attack to happen in the United States, the largest illegal wiretapping system to happen in the United States, and the largest immigration fraud case in U.S. history. There's a lot going on there. Yep. Wow. This takes a turn. A couple more turns. There's some... Even at the end, there's some terms hmm. that are interesting. Can't wait. Quite a tease. Wow. Nothing special about Bhagwan, though, really. You know? He, yeah, run-of-your-mill uh, guru. Yeah. It's just, I think it's just whoever survived, you know, whoever was able to be charismatic enough to get more followers than the other one. Because I remember we talked about, like, the term Jesus freak mm-hmm. at this time was all these people joining cults and stuff. There were so many in this time period Mm. with the new age movement and everything. People looking for the meaning of life out there or just an excuse to fucking bang whoever you want (laughs) or that to get away from their lives and (laughs) go do a sex. (laughs) Do a sex. All right. Any final thoughts on part one, Ian? Next week will be more uh, pretty straightforward with all that stuff. All the nitty gritty down it, and dirty stuff. Yeah, it, it's it, it goes so off the rails. It's crazy. Like you watch, you you watch, you know, or read about it, and you're like, did this really even happen? Like this is so, this is so wild. And they end up getting their own police force and stuff. Goddamn, that can actually arrest people in the United States. It gets crazy. Wow, that's uh, a little over the top. Like, uh, sorry, you have not fucked enough this week. We're going to have to take you into custody. Yeah. Dave, your final thoughts, part one? I'm going to hold off till next week. Sounded good they were at the, up at the beginning, but they lost me along the way. So we'll see where this goes off the tracks. You next were interested week. In, initially. Well, I had some good ideas up front, but, you know. It titillated you a little bit. <laughs> uh, I was intrigued briefly, yes. I'll admit that. All right. I'm thumbs downing them at this point, though. Thus far, thumbs down. That's my current stance, yes. Yep. All right. Well, like I said, 
Bhagwan's taking a back seat now because Bhagwan just decided he was going to go silent. Back seat, windows up. That's the way. (laughs) He knew what he was doing. Yeah. Yeah, All we're going to be talking about next week for the most part is being Anad Sheila. She's now the focus of this story. All right. We got some patron shout outs tonight. Thank you very much to new patrons, Viola, Pilar, Maggie Miller, Shauna Trabuco, Katie Gowan, Savannah Tran, Christian Chavaria, Justin Fleming, Chase Reynolds, Marion, Cody Willis, Weez Juice TTV, Bitch Hazel, Mara McKellany, Tamika Tilbrook, Georgia, Milady Potts, Wooly Wonka, ILL Content Lizard, William Hudson, Kinga, Michelle Reddish, Emika Miller, Megan Harrington, Rob Nelson, Foster Gauthier, Loose Burdens, Nicole Sangsaraya, Juggalo Jim Jones. Is Jim Jones a juggalo? Would he have been? I wonder. Don't think so. Probably not. No. They would have hated him too, by the way. Yeah. Probably. Sprayed his ass with Faga. <laughs> Sent the hatchet man after him. Barbara Redner, Ryan Monroe, Jimbo Kirshner, Nestor Zamora, Candice McManus, Davey, Jake Martin, Oscar Passan, Kelly Withington, Dustin Jarvis, Katie Ward, Richard Walrus. Thank you all very much. We are at patreon.com slash necronomapod. Hey, that one you read, I-L-L content lizard. I think it's probably ill, ill content lizard. You spelled it out. Oh, maybe. I don't Mm. know. Okay. Thank you, ill content lizard. (laughs) Uh, Ian, what we got? For iTunes, I have one for me, only me, A-Hole Bubbles, Emilicious in the Mountains, looks like they hit their keyboard, John Olsley, and Chas Dub 2021. Thank you guys for the awesome reviews. Yeah, looking at ILL Content Lizard. Maybe don't abbreviate the first three or uh, capitalize the first three letters because it looks like an abbreviation. Because <laughs> then the rest is not. <laughs> Anyways, go check out Ill Content Lizard. There you go. Uh, Dave, what do you got? I don't have anything. All right. Thanks for asking, though. Of course. Uh, anything else? I'm good. No, man. Pack it in. We got the stickers on the website. Sure do. Necronalpod.com for the stickers. The merchandise on Amazon, amazon.com, search Necronomapod. Sounds like it's becoming more than just the United States. They're auto-populating a lot of that stuff in uh, Japan and Germany. So, yeah. So, maybe slowly getting back. Yeah, it's getting there. So, give it a shot. You never know what you're going to find. Some cool new designs last couple weeks. And Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, at Necronomapod. Um, patreon.com slash necronomapod did I miss anything I think I got it all sounds right okay see you next week alright you guys ready for a cool down beer cheers <laughs>